Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Loblaw Companies Limited second quarter 2021 earnings call. At this time, all, listen, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded today, Wednesday, the 28th of July, 2021, and I would now like to turn the conference over to Roy McDonald. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, Michelle, and welcome everybody to the Loblaw Companies Limited second quarter 2021 results conference call. I'm joined in the room this morning by Galen Weston, our chairman and president, and by Richard Dufresne, our Chief Financial Officer. And before we begin the call, I'd like to remind you that today's discussion will include forward-looking statements, which may include but are not limited to statements with respect to Loblaw's anticipated future results and the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. These statements are based on assumptions and reflect management's current expectations. As such, they are subject to a number of risks and opportunities that could cause actual results or events to differ materially from our expectations. And these risks and uncertainties are discussed in the company's materials filed with the Canadian securities regulators. Any forward-looking statements speak only as of the date they are made. The company disclaims any intention or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, other than what's required by law. Also, certain non-GAAP financial measures may be discussed or referred to today, so please refer to our annual report and other materials filed with the Canadian Securities Regulators for, for a reconciliation of each of these measures to the mostly direct, most directly comparable GAAP financial measure. And with that, I will turn the call over to Richard. Thank you, Roy. Good morning, everyone. I'm very excited to be back at Loblaw, and I'm pleased to share some details around what was a good second quarter for us. The quarter reflected continued improvement in our businesses while lapping tougher performance last year. The environment remains dynamic and still difficult to forecast. As we report on, a sec on our second year of the pandemic, comparable numbers do not tell the entire story. As such, I will include commentary and two-year data points to provide further context on our operating performance. On a consolidated basis, our revenue for the second quarter grew by over $500 million, EBITDA increased 36%, and earnings per share grew by 87.5%. On a two-year basis, we saw average annualized growth in revenue of 5.9%, adjusted EBITDA of 8.1%, and adjusted earnings per share growth of 15%. These figures are well ahead of our financial framework. Food retail same-store sales were flat in the quarter. 
Market declines slightly, again, same-store sales growth of 19% last year, while discount same-store sales were positive. Our average article price was up 1.4% for the quarter, a decline from 3.9% in Q1. The increase in average article price compared to last year was mainly driven by sales mix. Loblaw's CPI comparable inflation rate was less than 1% in the first half of 2021. Traffic improved in Q2, recording growth for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. On a two-year rate, food same-store sales reflected average growth of 5.6%. Same-store sales in drug retail increased by 9.6% in the second quarter, trending positively compared to a decline of 1.1% last year. Front store same-store sales were better by 3.6%, while pharmacy same-store sales grew 17.2%. Front store sales saw some sales momentum from cosmetics and OTC categories as restrictions loosened, recording strong growth compared to last year. Pharmacy performance was strong, lapping volatility of day supply restriction in the prior year. On a two-year average rate, drug same-store sales have grown 5.7%, with front store at 4.6% and RX at 6.9%. Our online business continued to operate at penetration levels well above pre-COVID rates. After record growth of 280% in Q2 last year, sales declined 0.5% versus Q2 of last year. That said, online sales increased in the mid-single digits versus Q1. We remain focused on driving customer metrics and delivered sequential improvements in both customer-facing metrics and profitability. Retail gross margin was 30.9%, an improvement of 40 basis points compared to the second quarter of 2019. While gross margin improved 130 basis points versus Q2 of 2020, we are hankering our financial performance to 2019. This is our second consecutive quarter of gross margin stability and we feel comfortable about our gross margin performance going forward. Improvement in mix versus second quarter of 2020 had a positive impact on margin. Retail as GNA as a percentage of sales was 20.2%, with the rate improving by 120 basis points compared to the first quarter of 2020. The improvement was primarily due to lapping of high COVID costs in 2020 sales leverage from strong prescription growth, and efficiencies achieved in our e-commerce labor model. COVID costs came in at $70 million in a quarter, in line with our expectations. Compared to Q2 of 2019, our retail SG&E improved by 30 basis points, despite COVID costs and headwinds from our online growth. Strong sales performance is definitely a factor in driving rates. Adjusted retail EBITDA improved by $347 million in the quarter. This compared to last year when we recorded a decline of $151 million, driven by margin and COVID costs-related pressure. At PC Financial, revenue was up $39 million in the quarter, driven by higher mobile shop revenue and interchange income as we lap a period of low sales volume from prior year. Adjusted EBITDA at the bank increased $16 million year-over-year primarily driven by changes in the expected credit loss provision and lower credit losses, 
offsetting the lower impact of lower interest income as payment rates remain elevated. On a consolidated basis, adjusted EBITDA margin was 11% in the quarter, up 260 basis points compared to last year. In the quarter, IFR's net earnings available to common shareholders was $464 million, up 78.5%, and fully diluted net earnings per share were $1.35. Free cash flow was $953 million in the quarter, but free cash flow in our retail business was $1 billion in the quarter. In Q2, we repurchased $350 million of common shares for a total of $700 million year to date. Today, we announced a $0.03 or 9% increase in our quarterly dividend. This marks our 10th consecutive increase of our dividend. As we look ahead, a great deal of uncertainty remains as the course of the pandemic, the reopening of the, co- of the economy, and the resulting impact on, cons- on consumer behavior remains dynamic. Sales trajectory remains difficult to forecast. We are pleased with the financial performance of our second quarter. As such, we have updated our outlook to include the expectation of EPS growth for the full year 2021 of the low to mid-20s, excluding the impact of the 53rd week of 2020. In the first four weeks of the third quarter, food same-store sales declined by 1% compared to the same period last year. Over the same period, COVID costs are estimated at around $9 million. As for inflation expectations, while inflation was low in the first half, proposed cost increases from vendors have been coming in rapidly over the last while, so it is reasonable to expect more inflation going forward. Having said that, manageable level of inflation has positive impacts on our business. Before I hand over the call to Galen, I would like to reiterate my excitement in being back in the business. Together with Galen and Robert, we look to the future with confidence as we reflect on the scale and strength of our food and drug retail businesses, our strong brands, our loyalty assets, and our already sizable online business. I will now turn the call over to Galen. Good morning. Like Richard, I'm very pleased with the company's results in Q2. The ups and downs of COVID continue to distort the year-over-year numbers, but when you look through that, this is the fifth consecutive quarter of improved performance, and on a two-year basis, we have outperformed on every key measure, from sales through to earnings. Our grocery divisions performed well in the first part of the quarter, aided by COVID restrictions that kept Canadians eating at home during the spring and early summer. This translated into strong market share, demonstrating the underlying health of our business. As communities across the country began opening up, we were particularly pleased with the re-emergence of value-seeking shopping trips, which was good for our discount formats. Our drugstore business was also impacted by the pandemic. Spring cough and cold season was virtually non-existent due to the mask usage and social distancing. On the other hand, allergy season was particularly robust as people rushed outside at the first hint of spring. And we're seeing customers return to our beauty counters as communities open up. COVID testing and vaccinations continued at a stable pace as our pharmacists did their part to protect Canadians. When it came to more traditional prescriptions, our share growth accelerated as we finally lapped last year's supply restrictions. And the start of what we expect will be a slow and steady recovery for acute medications. As we look forward, the good news of an increasingly vaccinated nation and a far less restricted life for Canadians 
will change our business yet again, and it is difficult to predict exactly what the magnitude of those impacts will be. We expect our shoppers' business to grow stronger as some of its most important categories like beauty and pharmacy return to a more normal run rate. We expect our e-commerce business to shift from headwind to tailwind. And we expect the return of value-focused shopping to deliver a relative benefit for our discount formats. However, we also know that our entire food business, our entire business, will face top-line pressure as we lap the elevated sales from COVID. As Richard mentioned, that year-over-year contraction was already evident in the first four weeks of Q3. And while we are very well positioned relative to the industry, we will need to maintain a particularly sharp focus on gross margin and on costs. Having now been back in the President's role for three months, that attention to core fundamentals has been front and center. It's been busy. Loblaw is a fantastic company with a real opportunity to create value. We have amazing assets, great stores, incredible brands, leading customer loyalty, and very talented people. Our strategy remains the right one, and we have made some important adjustments to accelerate our progress against it. To start, we've reprioritized our strategic initiatives, doubling down on those with the most financial potential and the shortest journey to deliver it while also recognizing those that are simply too small or too difficult to deliver against and stopping them. This has freed up capacity for the organization to refocus on retail excellence under the leadership of Chief Operating Officer Robert Sawyer. This combination is bringing a renewed sense of clarity and urgency to everything we do. There are some challenges ahead, especially over the next few quarters, but the team is crystal clear about where it needs to go and is more energized than ever. Thank you. We'll now welcome any questions that you might have. Thanks, Caitlin. Michelle, could you remind the audience what the protocol is for asking a question? Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press the star followed by the one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press the star followed by the two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. <clears throat> Your first question comes from Karen Short of Barclays. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks very much. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, about your comments on inflation. Obviously, you gave us, well, we know what the 1Q average article price was, and you gave us 2Q. What are your thoughts on inflation for the remainder of the year? And I guess what are your expectations in terms of your ability to actually pass through the inflation that you're seeing from the vendors? Yeah, so so um, we did see low inflation, as we mentioned, in the first half. Um, and we do see signs of increased pressure in the second half. There's no question about that. You know, we see pressure in commodities, we see pressure on transportation, uh, and particularly underlying pressure from the labor challenges um, you know, that is, are being experienced uh, specifically in the U.S. Um, when it comes to our ability to pass things through, you know, um, we're going to look to pass through legitimate cost increases 
um, you know, as appropriate, um, you know, while all the while keeping a very close eye on our relative value proposition. Um, but at this point, we see uh, there there will be some opportunity to pass those increases through. Okay, um, and then I'm wondering if you could give a little color on performance in discount versus conventional, and how how you see that playing out throughout the remainder of the year, given where the state of the Canadian consumer is in terms of their savings. Yeah, so as the economy uh, started to open up here in Canada, we saw a pullback in the conventional businesses, um, you know, that was fairly significant, um, in line with our expectations, but meaningful. Um, whereas on the discount side, uh, you know, we saw, uh, you know, continued positive performance. Um, and, you know, the, the way to think about discount, you know, is that with the return of the value-oriented shopper and the value-oriented shopping trip, there's going to be um, a reversion to, um, you know, discount um, from a market penetration perspective. However, um, you know, we do expect discount to run negative, um, you know, over the next few quarters as well as, um, you know, our market business. And that's why it's going to be so important in what is essentially a, a negative leverage situation to stay, um, you know, laser focused on margin. And we're really pleased with the results um, you know, of margin in the last two quarters. As Richard said, we think we can sustain that, um, you know, through the balance of the year. And additionally, we have to be laser focused on cost. Okay, and then just last one for me. Um, you mentioned the $9 million in COVID costs for the first four weeks of this quarter. Is, is that the right run rate to think about going forward? We, uh, we, we think it can go uh, down a bit more. Uh, as we start to uh, to reduce these costs and the econ economy reopens. Great. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from Michael Van Eist of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thank you. And just, just to follow up on that discount versus conventional uh, conversation, um, so you're seeing a recovery in, in the discount versus conventional, but long term, do you think do you see it returning to where it was historically, or do you think there's been some kind of permanent shift in consumer behavior during COVID? You know, it's it, we're trying hard not to speculate too much on you know what the post-COVID world is going to look like. Um, I don't think anybody really knows yet. I think there is reason to believe that the um, that the conventional stores will hang on to a few more customers, perhaps, you know, than they have in the past, especially, uh, you know, in our business, where, as you know, we've made significant, um, you know, relative price investments, um, you know, in that format. So we have, you know, historically some of the narrowest gaps to discount, um, you know, that, we, that we've ever had. And, and part of our thinking there is that we want to hang on to, um, you know, those customers who, who shop on the bubble. But, you know, it really is too early to tell. What we know for sure is that, and we're seeing it now, we saw it, um, you know, during the opening uh, in the middle of last summer, is that there are a set of value-oriented shoppers who haven't been, um, you know, shopping in the discount stores who are going to start shopping in them. Okay. And you mentioned that, um, that gap. Uh, conventional versus discount. Can you provide some more color as to like, where you think you are relative to, say, I guess Walmart, which is quite often where people uh, index you to, and and then how do you think your that gap has changed over the past 
12 months following your price investments versus your peers. Yeah, so I'm not going to give you the specifics, uh, you know, around where we index versus Walmart, but, um, you know, we index better uh, against Walmart today than we did, say, at the end of 2019. Um, you know, that's been part of a concerted effort on the uh, our market division. Um, and it's been a strategic uh, price investment um, looking to close gaps in particular categories as opposed to, you know, across the board. And, you know, we've seen commensurate um, response uh, from consumers in those categories. So it's indicative of, uh, you know, the success um, of that strategy. What's also, also, I think, worth pointing out is that the gap, uh, and, and in some ways more importantly, the gap between us and our um, market competitors um, is at an all-time high. Okay, and, and you, you don't want to give any kind of indication as how that's changed in the last year? Oh, it's improved. Okay, but not. But is, is it a few hundred, like a hundred? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> Look, I mean, it's 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 not insignificant. Um, you know, it's 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 noticeable. It's we're not talking about you know ten basis points. You know, we're talking about uh, a meaningful gap. Okay, great. And then just finally, um, the comment on e-commerce. You said it's shifting from a headwind to a tailwind which I can understand um, in part, but you, you were lapping a, a, a 280% growth comp of a year ago, and in the second half of the year, you'll be lapping easy comps. At the same time, you showed sequential growth um, from Q1 to Q2. So if you just kind of hold your, your kind of levels of Q2, won't you be higher in your sales for e-commerce in the second half of the year? And And, and how would that be a... Tailwind. No, for, for for us, the way we look at it, Michael, is like uh, the bulk of our infrastructure costs have been uh, have been invested, I guess. And when we look at it last year at uh, at this time, uh, our labor costs were through the roof because like we're just like chasing uh, ch chasing sales. So we figured out how to be able to serve our customers. So we've been able. To improve on our labor rates quite significantly, and so that's how that's why we're seeing that that business. While we will continue to invest in, in certain area, like we feel that uh, the big chunk of what we had to do is uh, is definitely behind us. And going forward, as we continue to tweak the model, it's no longer going to be a, a significant uh, tailwind on our business. Edwin. 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 Sorry. Right. Great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from Irene Natel of RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks, and, and good morning, everyone. Um, I just want to come back to some of your closing remarks, Dalen, in which you said, I think, I think you said that you were laser focused on retail excellence. Can you sort of walk us through what that looks like? I mean, and, and sort of how you think about how you define retail excellence, what it looks like, and what the key uh, factors are that will get you to where you want to be. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it begins with, as I just, as I sort of mentioned in my script, reprioritizing, reprioritization uh, you know, of our strategic initiatives um, to identify 
um, those that are you know, truly compelling enterprise-level initiatives that we need to accelerate, um, and then you know, um, stopping essentially those other ones or, or, or pushing them in the, into the direct accountability of, of the divisions themselves. The whole objective is to create space um, for our retail teams um, you know, to focus on retail fundamentals. Um, and the way to think about that, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old adage, but retail is detail. Um, and if your teams are spending all of their time, um, you know, focused on supporting strategic initiatives, then it comes at the expense of time that they would otherwise be spending, um, you know, on their merchandising programs or on, you know, store conditions and, and so on and so forth. So the big step, um, you know, to change that orientation is the reintroduction of the chief operating officer role, um, you know, which is something we've had here for many years, but not in the last two or three. Um, and, the, and bringing Robert in, you know, as many of you know, he, you know, he, he really is, if not the best, he's certainly um, very, very close to being the best, uh, you know, retail operator you know, in Canadian history. Uh, you know, and he's coming back to bring his instincts, his attention to detail and focus um, you know, onto the business. A good example um, of, you know, how to think tangibly about um, changes in the trajectory that, um, you know, that focus can make is he and Richard have, have just completed a really intensive look at our retail network and have identified um, opportunities to optimize that retail network. And think about, um, you know, a, a, a list of stores uh, that are generating uh, negative earnings today or negative EBIT today that could be converted to a different format um, at a very uh, effective cost um, and very quickly both drive top-line sales through that format conversion and improve profitability. Um, and there are a number of areas that you know, Richard and Robert are focused on in, in terms of improving just that fundamental retail asset, um, you know, which has perhaps you know, not received as much focus over the last few years as it should have. That's great. So, so then if we're sitting here looking at it from the outside, Galen, we should see that in the form of better and more consistent top-line performance and profitability. Is that what it will look like to us? Yeah, I mean, that, that's absolutely the objective. And I, I think, um, you know, somebody asked me the other day, you know, what would you see as the biggest opportunity in the, call it the short to medium term in the business? Um, you know, what would Robert see as the biggest opportunity, uh, you know, and are those two things aligned? And, and the answer is improving the retail fundamentals, um, you know, just the day-to-day -day trading day in and day out and improving that retail network. Um, you know, we've identified significant potential um, in those two areas to drive the financial performance top and bottom line for successful. That's great. Thank you. And if I could just ask uh, one more sort of more near-term question. Just thinking about the gross margin evolution in the back half of the year, Presumably, presumably, if we see recovery at shoppers, should that not just on a straight mix basis drive improving gross margins as we move through the year? Definitely, it'll help. Like we feel good about our level of gross margin, which is a mix of both food and drug. But you're right. Like as the shoppers' business uh, opens up, 
uh, this business has higher gross margin than our food side, so we should benefit, and that should help us deliver on, uh, on our outlook. That's great. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Petrie of CIBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for all the comments. Uh, just a couple, actually, just to follow up on specifically. First on the gross margin, um, could you just give us a sense of, in the quarter, the relative performance in the food and drug segments? I know you don't give give detail, but <clears throat> any sort of directional commentary about the materiality of the improvements in each of the segments would be helpful. Well, let, let, let me give you a sense of, um, you know, all the key areas that we saw improvements in mix um, uh, that drove gross margin. So the first was a positive mix shift in food, um, and that was largely driven by, um, you know, the strength in the service counters and other high-touch categories. And so customers are coming back to those counters, um, and we're seeing really significant lifts. And if you remember Sarah's comments, um, you know, from about this time last year, that was one of the places um, you know, where business was particularly impacted by the COVID restrictions, and that had uh, a dilutive effect on our margin. The second um, has been strength in uh, key non-food categories. You know, so apparel has been strong from a margin perspective. Um, RX um, also, you know, is a positive com contributor to margin. And OTC, um, you know, which came back strongly, as I mentioned, in allergy season is also a really profitable category and, and quite big um, in the pharmacy business. And then if you kind of think, um, you know, as Irene mentioned, on an overall basis, um, strong sales performance on, in the drug channel, which is a naturally um, more uh, higher gross margin business, just lifts the margin mix, uh, you know, from, for, the, for the total organization as well. Okay, that's helpful. Thank you. Um, and um, uh, and then I guess with regards to the work on process and efficiency, thanks for all the color uh, with the, you know, in terms of a refocus on strategic priorities. Um, with the COVID cost now sort of seemingly stabilized or maybe a little bit of um, a reduction possible, what would be a reasonable expectation for SG&A growth relative to sales growth? Um, for, you know, the second half of the year, but probably even more importantly, you know, as we think about next year. Yeah, so rate becomes very difficult to predict for the second half as food sales turn negative. So it's going to put pressure on rate. Also, as the pharmacy business gets going, the sg rate in that business is higher. So that will also affect rate. So it's very tough to try to manage the business looking at rate, you need to be focused on dollars. So right now, our energies are all focused on dollars, and, uh, and that's how we're managing the business to be able to deliver our outlook for the second half of the year. As for 2022, you need to break the year in two. Like the first half is gonna be lapping this first half, which was very high sales performance, so again, Looking at dollars more than rates is going to be key. And as we lap these two quarters, we should be starting to get back more to normal. So uh, I know I'm not helping you with my answer, but uh, that's exactly how we're looking at it right now. 
Okay, I appreciate that. <clears throat> and I guess just to follow up also on the topic of e-commerce, I mean, you mentioned sort of how you're thinking about it at a, at a high level, but I'm just wondering if you can give any sort of specific examples with how the efficiency uh, has improved and then any commentary with in terms of the actual net impact of that on the consolidated results would be uh, would be helpful. Yeah, so I'll I'll start um, you know with a, a a couple of good examples. So if you imagine um, you know a world where demand um, is dramatically outstripping supply and you're investing in order to try and meet that demand uh, as as well as you can, which was the the, the decision that we took last year. Um, it results in a huge amount of labor inefficiency. You're basically throwing labor at, at everything you possibly can. Um, you're not spending a ton of time on the on the pick path efficiency, um, on uh, you know on organizing how your teams are actually functioning. You're investing in building um, additional capacity. You know, as you know, we opened a number of um, you know dedicated manual fulfillment picking centers. Um, all of that um, increases cost. Um, as the as the volume normalizes, then your ability to schedule um, uh, orders improves dramatically, um, and then you can start optimizing, uh, you know, labor. So, how do you optimize labor? Well, you move from, um, you know, from um, um, basket picking, so you you have one person picking entire order, um, to batch picking. Um, you know where you have pickers uh, working in produce, grocery, uh, you know, and uh, and meat, and so on. All of these, uh, you know, types of of uh, opportunities improve um, labor efficiency. We've introduced, um, you know, a, a, a digital check-in desk, um, you know, through the app, um, which improves, uh, you know, the speed of of uh, fulfillment when people are uh, trying to pick up their groceries, um, and also improves the the. the the way that you allocate, allocate labor, um, you know, during those pickup moments. So um, it's really just attention to detail um, and making sure that you don't have uh, inefficient, wasted labor, um, you know, throughout the organization. The second thing, you know, to think about is the amount of um, investment in infrastructure, uh, you know, that we've made, um, you know, is is we're not doing it anymore. So we're not adding. Um, you know that capital cost, and we're starting to see the depreciation, you know, come off, um, you know, that uh, part of the P&L as well. So, you know, net net, it just improves the overall economic proposition. There's still a lot of distance to travel to make our e-commerce business profitable. Um, you know, and we'll talk about that another time. All right. Appreciate the comments. Best of luck. Your next question comes from Patricia Baker of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you for taking my questions. Gail, my first question is for you. In your opening remarks, you said that you, you're convinced that the strategy is the right one and that you have reprioritized uh, strategic initiatives. Can you just uh, very quickly review with us what the strategy is and what the, ch what the changes have been? Yeah, so... Um, we have recently undertaken a strategic review process of about, um, call it, uh, around 17 um, strategic initiatives that have been prioritized by the organization over the, over the last couple of years. Um, you know, a big part of that is, you know, how do we drive our, our, our digital, um, you know, relationship with customers in as positive a way as possible. Um, and, you know, we've really zeroed in on uh, the ones that, um, 
we think are, uh, have the, the greatest potential. And as I mentioned in my script, potential um, both in terms of size of the prize and also proximity you know, to deliver positive results. Clearly, and it won't surprise you, the biggest and most important one right now is e-commerce. Um, you know, we've mm -hmm. invested substantially in it over the last number of years. We've now achieved significant scale, um, you know, with sales over, um, you know, $3 billion. Um, and our focus now is to improve the efficiency, um, you know, of that business um, and then to substantially improve the customer proposition. And we've made excellent progress on improving the efficiency, as, as a couple of people have, have asked. Um, turning uh, e-commerce from a, a, a headwind to a tailwind, which is pretty meaningful, and I think, um, you know, certainly not the case uh, in in many grocery retailers in this country and around the world. And that's because, you know, we got way in front of it, um, you know, in terms of the investment cycle, and now we can actually focus on optimization. Um, and the second thing is to improve the customer value proposition. Sarah talked about it at the end of last quarter that we'd seen significant improvements on the three metrics that were most important to us, uh, most important to customers. Um, you know, the ability to find what you're looking for, so shopability of the website, um, you know, availability, getting what you ordered, um, you know, when you do your grocery shop, and then third, the wait times uh, for pickup and the availability of slots for delivery. We've seen a 15% um, consecutive increase in NPS um, and driven by improvements on all the three metrics that I mentioned. Still lots, uh, you know, of opportunity for improvement um, and, you know, every week, uh, you know, we're seeing um, you know, the, the implementation of new solutions and improvements, uh, you know, on all three of those fronts. So feeling pretty confident about the journey that we're on there. Um, there are other, uh, you know, significant strategic initiatives, um, you know, at the enterprise level, which we'll talk about again, uh, you know, sometime in the future. But a good example of what would be next um, would be media. And, uh, you know, that is a big opportunity generating positive contribution to EBIT today with significant upside. And then, you know, to give you an example of something that we looked at and said, gosh, you know, we've got to stop investing in this because the distance to travel for it to be highly impactful, you know, on the overall, um, you know, business picture is just too far and the cost to get there is too high. Um, and that would be our PC Chef, um, you know, meal delivery service. So great service, customers loved it, but, you know, it's going to cost tens of millions of dollars, uh, you know, of investment over the next four or five years to get even to a, the beginning of meaningful scale. And so our view, you know, is that we need to take that meal expertise and deploy it against our stores and deploy it against our existing very successful e-commerce channel and take all that operating cost and the future investment cost out of the P&L, uh, you know, to, to help drive the financial performance. Okay, thank you very much for that. It's very helpful. Um, just on the uh, mm -hmm. optimization, and you discussed optimizing the network. I think you said that you'll be looking at converting maybe those that, that Robert and uh, uh, Richard have looked and identified stores that are not contributing as well as they should now, and you'll con convert uh, them to a different format. Is, are those mostly conventional stores that you'll convert to discount, or...? Good morning, Patricia. So uh, it's a bit early, no? like we've, we've just uh, actually mm -hmm. finished mm -hmm. doing the work, and so uh, so we're gonna uh, we're gonna oper operationalize it over uh, over the coming weeks and months. 
but like the, the focus was to look at stores that are losing money, okay, and, uh, and figure out what is the best solution. So uh, as Galen mentioned, some are going to be converted, uh, few will be closed, and, uh, and, uh, and also some will be downsized. So, uh, so, so that's the piece of work that, uh, that we've just completed, but also we're also going to look at, uh, at new store opportunities. Like we see uh, significant opportunities to, uh, to build new stores in Canada. So that's also part of this exercise. So as you can imagine, this is not something that you just do in two months. No? So, uh, but we, we have laid out uh, the foundations of that work and we're going to get uh, going quickly because we want to have stuff that can hit our, uh, our numbers uh, in, uh, in 22. And so those are probably going to be more the conversions because that requires not much capital and you can quickly turn a store who's negative to, to positive from an earnings perspective and you get the lift in your numbers uh, right away. Okay, thank you, that's, that's very good. So just following up on Michael's uh, questioning on the pricing gap uh, and that you indicated that your, the gap is this gap between yourself and the competitors uh, is, is, is better than it has been in, in years. Have you seen no response from the competition to your uh, price investment? Um, well, it, it depends on the competitor, um, and uh, you know I think there have been different strategies undertaken, um, you know, through the through COVID. Um, our strategy, as I think we've repeated on a number of occasions, you know, was to make sure that we were delivering the right level of value to our customers across both formats. Um, and and you know this was an opportunity that we identified on the market side before COVID happened. Um, and we made the decision to lean into it, um, you know, during COVID at a time where there was a good strong tailwind behind um, the market division. So, you know, I can't comment on on uh, on competitors' strategies other than to say that we've seen a different approach, um, you know, from them over the last uh, 12 months in the market, um, you know, segment. Um, and, you know, ultimately, you know, it's been working very well for us uh, to date. On the discount side, you know, others. Um, you know, when you're a discounter, you know, your biggest um, opportunity for customers is to have great prices. Um, and there are, you know, pretty strong competitors who have a similar philosophy to us and, um, you know, like Walmart and, and others. And we're staying staying very, uh, very cognizant of how aggressive they um, will be over the next number of months. And, you know, but, uh, but, you know, if you think about the discount businesses, they're all going to do better. Um, over the next uh, number of quarters, uh, and you know that's something we're looking forward to. Okay, thank you very much. And if I may ask one last question, it's on the gross margin. So obviously, mix was a big driver of uh, that 128 basis improvement. Was it, were there also uh, benefits of the gross margin from specific things that you're doing operationally as well? But the biggest the biggest increase in rate, uh, Patricia, was just when you compare it to last year. Like last year, okay. our GP rate was much lower on the food side, and so uh, so that's been fixed like later in, the, in last year, and so that's why we're hankering our performance on 2019. Like for us, from my perspective, like uh, we were there more or less in Q1, so we've just continued the same strategy from a gross margin perspective, and so when you compare it to last year, that's why it created that gap. So uh, so we're. We're focused on the level of our gross margin now, and that's that's what gives us confidence that going forward uh, we should be able to maintain it. Okay, thank you very much.
Your next question comes from Vishal Sridhar of National Bank. Please go ahead. I just want to the, the new specifically um, Robert Sawyer. Um, you you offered uh, some uh, some fairly uh, complimentary um, uh, comments on him. Just wondering how long we should expect him to be in the role. In in your view, is it and his is it a longer term placement or more of a short shorter term placement? Yeah, so he's committed to a couple of years, and I think I've I've said that um, uh, publicly. And uh, you know, and, and you know, hopefully it'll be longer. But um, you know, he is he is come out of retirement, you know, to do this job, and and uh, you know, he's committed fully to a couple of years, and and we're fully committed to him for for uh, for that period. And I think you know that's the way to think about it. Sure. Well, will the COO role stay in place, uh, you know, after those couple of years expire? You know, never say never, um, but yes. You know, it's a really important, um, you know, part of the way that we run this business. You know, Lava is a big company that does a lot of things, and to have someone, uh, you know, uh, providing very experienced, you know, permanent oversight, um, you know, over the retail operations, I think is an uh, is an essential um, uh, element of how we need to run this business. Okay. Um, with respect to uh just the, the market reaction. I, I mean, uh, inflation is starting to creep up. Sales are going to turn negative just uh, in grocery, just given difficult comparisons. It seems like, uh, you know, from a high level looking down, that could be um, a fairly difficult situation to manage. I know Lawwell said they're focusing on the dollars. Just wondering how you're seeing your competitors react to this more difficult uh, type of outlook. Are they, are they reacting with price as an initial driver, or you're still seeing those varied strategies persist? Uh, I mean, um, it's very early, right? Uh, you know, in terms of this, and 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 nobody really knows what um, you know it, it's going to look like. I mean, Richard shared you know the first four weeks, of, you know, sort of post Q3, which are you know giving us a, a, a strong indication. Look, I, I think the message um, from our perspective is in the same way that our business was disadvantaged, um, you know, during the peak of COVID. Um, it will be relatively advantaged as we come out of COVID, and that's because of our um, strength in discount, and it's because um, you know of the the role of Shoppers Drug Mart, um, you know, in our overall mix, um, and the improvement in margin, you know, that we expect to come out of those categories that underperformed, you know, during COVID, and will come back, you know, during that normal period. So, I think you know for us that's the most important thing. Um, and then, you know, that laser focus on maintaining the right margin structure and maintaining, um, you know, the right dollar level of SG&A. Yeah, Vishal, what I would add, like, uh, like we, uh, we issued an outlook where essentially we said we're going to go EPS this year between 20 and 25%. So that's effectively what we said. The implication of that is that despite the fact that we're going to see negative sales in food, we are going to grow earnings in the second half. So, uh, so, uh, so our financial framework is uh, is uh, something that uh, we want to be very focused on. So we see a good a good path for the rest of the year, and the framework will form the basis as to how we put together our budget for 2022. So, despite this negative sales environment, we're, uh, our our plan is to deliver on that framework. Thanks for the color. 
Your next question comes from Chris Lee of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Good morning. Uh, just maybe another follow-up question on gross margin. I apologize because it's such a big beat compared to my estimate. Um, just, is it fair to say that the underlying margin rate improvement uh, would have been even stronger if it weren't for the ban on non-essential product sales in Ontario during the quarter? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> I'm just thinking about that. Like for me, for me, it was more relative to last year. Like uh, because if you look at our gross margin rate this quarter versus Q1, it's not that different. So uh, so uh, so our strategies try to maintain our gross margin level there. So uh, so as to what what changed versus last year, like it, it, you're comparing two very different, I guess, era from a, from a grocery perspective. So uh, so I think it's 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 a little bit more difficult to uh, to do the the comparison that way. And I think it's probably also worth remembering that, you know, that non-essential product assortment for us is pretty small, you know, in the overall mix of our business. So for it to materially impact um, the business, the change would have to be very, very significant. And as you know, we, we only call it out um, on the basis of, you know, big changes you know, once in a while. Um, you know, it was the combination of, um, you know, RX, OTC, and apparel that, you know, contributed to the mix, not just that um, right-hand side, which is the part that was constrained during much of the quarter. Right. Okay. That, that's helpful. And maybe just related to that is just another driver I was thinking about was just the uh, reinstatement of the click-and-collect uh, fees, which will obviously discontinue in Q2 of last year. Was that meaningful or is it not meaningful enough for, for you guys to call it out? That was marginal. It was marginal. Positive, positive, but marginal. Okay. And I know you don't have a crystal ball, but it, I mean, is the gross margin rate improvement in Q2 a good proxy for what you can expect for a second half? You should not look at the gross margin improvement. You should look at the gross margin rate. Rate. Okay. So just to, so the rate improvement in Q2 is a good proxy for what we can expect in the second half. What I'm saying is the gross margin rate in Q2 should be a good proxy of the gross margin rate in Q3 and hopefully Q4. That's the plan. That's the plan. Yes, okay, gotcha, okay. Um, Maybe just another sort of maybe a boring number question. Um, If I remember correctly, um, the non-controlling interest line in the income statement largely reflects the portion of profits which are attributable to your franchisees. Um, it was a relatively high figure in Q2, I believe it was $56 million, which I think makes sense given the business improving and especially, especially the discount division. Um, I guess my question is, you know, is, do you expect the level of non-controlling interest number to remain relatively high in the second half as the discount division continues to improve? That's a good question. As to the precision of that number, it's tough for me to answer, but directionally, you are right because the discount business is better than it was last year. That's why the number is much higher than it was last year. So assuming we maintain similar level of profitability, it should remain in that zone. Gotcha, okay, that's helpful. Maybe my last question, just on SG&A, can you review for us maybe what are some of the major puts and takes in the second half? Um, for example, like do you expect discretionary spending to start picking up again in the second half 
And then related to that, um, the 20 million of incremental expenses related to connected healthcare, have most of that been spent or are they still yet to come? Thank you. Yeah, I think that 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 has been has been spent. As uh, as I said earlier, for us, the way we're looking at SG&E right now is we're lo we're looking at the dollars. So uh, so uh, so we have a we have a plan that we want to hit, and so the way to hit it is uh, is to uh, to look yes at rate, but like uh, because sales are turning negative, like uh, you can't, you can't manage your business on rate. You need to manage it on cost. Gotcha. Sorry, maybe just one last one. You mentioned uh, new store growth opportunities. Is that mostly for food, or do you see opportunities like in in, in the pharmacy space uh, going forward as well? We see opportunity for new for new stores in both our food and drug retail businesses. Gotcha. Okay. Thanks. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from Kenrick Tai, ATB Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Thank you, and good morning. Uh, Galen, I wonder if I just follow up with respect to the performance in, in beauty. Obviously, some encouraging comments on the, the recovery in quarter, but that's also on a, on a pretty weak year prior. Can you just speak to sort of the, the expected path and evolution of your, of your beauty business? You know, I think last year you had the benefit of a lot of the, the health of health and beauty uh, mitigating some of the pressures in cosmetics, which perhaps, uh, you know, less of a tailwind through this year. But also to that end, can you give us some indication as to how, through all of this, your share in prestige and mass or even just beauty more generally has trended uh, over the last year? Yes. Um, so it, it's, in a funny way, it's, it's the reverse, um, you know, story of what's, um, you know, happening in food. So if you imagine our beauty business, we were one of the very few um, beauty retailers who were open, um, you know, through the bulk of, of COVID, the department stores were all closed, so on and so forth. So our market share um, skyrocketed, um, you know, but the amount of, um, you know, money that people were spending on cosmetics dropped dramatically. Um, you know, so net-net, it was a negative financial impact, um, you know, on the Shoppers Drug Mart business. Um, what's going to happen, we believe, you know, with the sustained reopening is that um, all of the, that people start going out, um, you know, people will start seeing one another, and so cosmetics and all of those external, you know, sort of beauty categories will start to come back um, in a very significant way. It will also be on the back of all of um, Shoppers Drug Mart's competitors reopening. So um, the entire um, water level is going to rise. Um, our objective is going to be to hold on to as much market share in those categories as we possibly can, and we feel well positioned to do so. Um, you know, certainly, uh, you know, to, to, to hold on to a meaningful portion of it, not all. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we're, we're working hard to, you know, to make sure that we do. Um, from a big picture perspective, you know, the way to think about the role of beauty is that it is a very high margin contributing category um, and it is going to grow as the market reopening re reopens and that is going to have a notable positive effect on the overall margin of the business. Thank you, Ellen. That's great, Colin. Just one quick further question for me. In discounts and on sort of the migration back to discount on, on more normalized consumer behavior, what sort of increase in utility or how useful has your optimum program proved or been proving 
and how much more can you do to sort of lever that, those insights and expertise to make sure that on that transition back to discount that you're uh, you know capturing every dollar in the most efficient way possible. Yeah, so um, maybe the the way to to think about this is through COVID, you had a substantial drop in the price sensitivity um, of customers and the way that they made their shopping decisions. Um, and so our loyalty offers um, you know were less valuable um, in grocery shopping in particular than they would have been before COVID because people weren't looking, you know, to save, uh, you know, a dollar here or, or a dollar there. Um, and the, the algorithms that were designed to stimulate sales, um, you know, and loyalty as a result were less effective. As price sensitivity returns, um, you know, to the marketplace, those algorithms will become more effective. And we are seeing that now. So, you know, the, the wave of algorithms that we built at the end of 2019, um, you know, that were relatively impotent, um, you know, through COVID are now starting to generate, um, you know, the kind of return on sales that they were originally designed to. So, yes, we think that, you know, loyalty, um, you know, will become more potent, um, especially um, when it comes to more efficient forms of promotion. Um, and, you know, that'll be part of the toolkit, um, you know, that particularly the two food divisions are expecting to leverage in the back half. And then, uh, you know, we're looking for some positive um, acceleration in 2022. Great. Thanks very much. I'll leave it there. Your next question comes from Peter Sklar of BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Um, so I'm still looking for some clarity on this gross margin improvement you've had. You said, like Richard, you said we should really anchor it to 2019 to remove the COVID effect. And when you look at that, your gross margin is still up 100 basis points versus two years ago. Now, in your, in your explanation, you did say that, you know, the fresh counters are contributing to the gross margin, you know, but those high margin counters would have been open two years ago. So that, that kind of leaves us with mix. You, you, did, you did explain how you are getting some favorable mix. So is it all this mix effect that is helping your margin versus two years ago? And is that mix effect sustainable? And like, or are there structural changes that have happened? So I'm just kind of looking for more clarity in that kind of discussion, if you don't mind. Yeah, there's not been any structural changes. It's essentially mix, mix and merchandising that allowed us to uh, to deliver the, the this margin. So uh, nothing more than that. That's that's why that's why we're trying to anchor everybody there because that's how we are looking at it. So, uh, but that but that's it. And don't don't forget let, don't forget one thing, Peter. Like one thing one thing sometimes that. Uh, you forget is like uh, the, the scale of each of our business here. Like if you look at if you look at our, at our shoppers business, you know, it, it represents 40% of the EBITDA of the whole enterprise. So uh, so so that's something that has uh, it's a bit of not a lever, but uh, the gross margin of shoppers is significantly higher than the shoppers in the business in food. So it moves the needle when you uh, when you compare both businesses and when you look at the gross margin rate consolidated of Walmart. 
I know, but what has changed in the mix, Richard, versus two years ago? Has there been a permanent change in the mix, or is this just a temporary change in the mix? Like, I mean, Shoppers was 40% of the business two years ago as well. No, you're right. Like, I, I think I think we've, we've devised a level of margin last year as, uh, as the year was progressing that we felt comfortable with that allows us to continue gain share and be uh, well-priced, and we like that level, so we feel we can sustain it. That's why we're sort of <clears throat> exhibiting this, this confidence we have with our with our rate right now. And the the difference, the only thing I have in my head versus 2019 is mixed. Like it's not anything more than the, that we did structurally to uh, to the rate. And do you think that mix change is sustainable? We we think we think that the that level of gross margin is sustainable. Okay. Okay, and then just lastly, then um, uh, in terms of your outlook for that uh, 20 to 25 percent EPS growth, Richard, is that assume the you know the buyback in the second half of the year is kind of at the same level of what you did in Q2? Uh, for this, like we said to the market that we buy about 1.1 billion, and that's our plan, and we we spend 700, so we theoretically have 400 million dollar left. So that's what we have in our outlook calculation. Okay, great. Thank you. Your next question comes from Michael Van Eyes of TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, my follow-up has been answered. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have a question, Please press the star, followed by the one. Mr. McDonald, there are no further questions at this time. Please go ahead. Thanks very much, Michelle, and thanks, everybody, for your time this morning. Um, you know where to find me if you have follow-up questions, and mark your calendars for November the 17th for our Q3 results call. Have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.